to the Clemson podcast. It is Sunday, March 13th, and this is the one day of the year we always look forward to. Um, no, it's not losing one hour of sleep. It is Selection Sunday in college basketball, which, Cody, that means we find out whether or not Clemson makes it into the NIT. Are you excited? I love the NIT event. Have I told you how much I love the NIT? You know, I hear they call it the sexiest of the two tournaments out there. Yeah. Who's watching the other one? I don't even know its name. Exactly. Um, in other news, Dabo auctioning off his pontoon boat. You know, Cody, I was down at the Hoover Dam on the way to the national championship game, met an Australian guy. He says, hey, Clemson, I know Clemson. I saw that show, that episode with that pontoon boat. And I'm like, that's great, man. It's exactly what we want to be known for. Sounds about right. Cody, you want to you wanna buy that pontoon boat? I would love to buy a pontoon boat. I don't like Hartwell or uh, Kiwi, whatever. Um, in other news, Clemson baseball fans are saying more beer, please, okie dokie. And then also, apparently Jim Harbaugh has contacted Rick Pitino to see if he can bring his team down for a sleepover at one of their sex parties. You think the NCAA will allow that? Harbaugh and Rick Pitino can do whatever they want. Yeah, they'll get away with it. All right, so yeah, this has been a Cody uh, here again with you. Uh, we'll continue to bring you content, content here as part of the Clemson podcast in the football offseason. Um, We'll be coming at you about two to three times a month, plus throw in some interviews here and there. We'll see who we can get on board. Um, but on the docket today, we're going to be talking Clemson spring football practice news and notes, uh, Clemson basketball's free fall on Brad Brownell's fate, as well as Clemson baseball's off to a hard, hot start, so exciting things going on there. But as I mentioned, first things first, it is Selection Sunday. Um, Clemson did not make the tournament, no surprise there. Um, but a silver lining to that, South Carolina, despite starting 15-0, and eventually going 24-8 and and 11-7 and in, in the SEC, did not get in. They're the first major conference team with at least 24 wins not to get into the tournament. Cody, did they get snubbed? I think so. I mean, I think they had a, a legitimate case, and I think it goes to, show, goes to their strength of schedule. The selection committee was really waiting that, or their lack thereof. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they have <laughs> – I'd be a little bit more upset right now than just about any other team if I were South Carolina. The thing is, when I first saw that come out, I knew they started 15-0, and but I didn't know their final record. So I thought to myself, um, you know, they must have really tanked in the SEC, but 11-7 and is not bad. I think if they were closer to 500, maybe I would have expected that they might get left out. But it, it was kind of shocking to me. I think they probably do have a gripe there. But, hey, that sets up an opportunity for possibly Clemson-South Carolina rematch um, in the NIT. Yeah, wouldn't feel so great about that one right now. Um, well, you know, one of two things are going to happen there. Either we're going to win and we'll be happy about it, or Brown will get fired. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the ACC got seven teams into the tournament. Uh, could that have been eight uh, had Louisville um, not had the postseason ban for the aforementioned sex parties? Um, that would have been interesting to see. Um, but other than that, a strong showing from the SEC. You got two number one seeds in North Carolina and Virginia. Um, but overall, you know, who do we think is going to win this tournament? We haven't had a lot of time to break down the bracket since it just came out today. But for me, rock, chalk, Jayhawk, baby, all the way. As I mentioned before, I went to Kansas for grad, grad school. And it's a very convenient for me this time of year to be able to ride their coattails um, into the NCAA basketball tournament, considering Clemson hasn't been in like five years. 
Um, so that's who I got winning. It's not a super strong field this year. There's not one elite team. Uh, the Jayhawks have been playing really well. They have a really experienced squad led by Perry Ellis. Um, Wayne Selden and his uncle have been very entertaining. Um, Cody, who do you have winning? Well, let me say first, Ben, I think the only thing that Clemson fans care less about Duke basketball is Kansas basketball. But, um, <laughs> but they don't hate Kansas basketball like they hate Duke basketball. Yeah, yeah I guess. I, they're just as indifferent. But I'll say that there could, there's a strong likelihood or strong case that could be made for a blue bud to win with North Carolina, Kansas. You, know, you could throw Michigan State in there. But there's a similar case to be made for like a, a mid-major like prevailing this year because it's just been that kind of year up to this point. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It, it seems like one of those seasons that Michigan State uh, could come in and take it all. Um, you know, they've done so in the past, I think, being ranked around a four or five seed. They are two seed this year, but Tom Izzo, a great postseason coach, I think they have as good of a shot as anybody. Uh, you remember UConn several years ago came out of nowhere in the tournament to win it all. They went on a heck of a run in the American Conference uh, tournament with that buzzer beater at the end of the third overtime against Cincinnati to tie the game. They ultimately won that game in four overtimes, uh, went on to beat Temple and Memphis to win their conference tournament. So, you know, you never know what could happen with UConn. They've done it before. Um, aside from that, yeah, you got your Kansas, your North Carolina. Could this be Virginia's year? Oregon, a number one seed. Who would have saw that coming? Yeah, again, just one of those years, and maybe the first 16-1 upset? I, I don't know. You know, uh, it gets closer and closer every year to that happening, although I don't really see that happening this year. It's hard for me to pick one of these 16-1 upsets, although I think you could say that of any year. Um, more so, I like to look to the 2 versus 15 games, because we do see more upsets um, uh, from those seedings. I've got pinned in Villanova versus UNC Asheville is the most likely one to happen this year. Villanova has a history of having a poor showing in the NCAA tournament come, when they come in as a highly ranked seed. They're coming in as a two seed this year. They're kind of on a slide. They had an open window for the number one seed. They lost that by losing their conference tournament. What do you think? Uh, I would stay away. I, if I'm, I think I'm just going to go all in, put a 20 spot on whoever's playing Oregon. And I'm, I'm trying to look up those odds right now. Like just, just go all out. Yeah, I think uh, Oregon's playing the uh, winner of Holy Cross and Southern, I believe. I don't know. It's abbreviated here. Some team that I don't really know much about. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I can see the case uh, be made for Oregon losing, although that being said, that's partially because – I haven't seen them play a lot. I even live out here on the West Coast. We both do. And a lot of people on the East Coast don't watch any Pac-12 basketball. I think the Pac-12 is going to have a lot to show people this year. Um, but, you know, otherwise, I think it's probably pretty likely for the one and two seeds uh, for, us to, for us to see chalk um, and not a lot of upsets there. But you never know what can happen. Um, overall, in the tournament again not one elite team i think it's gonna be very interesting to see i'm really looking forward to thursday and friday not getting a lot of work done well taking off your your jayhawk blinders for a second or you know whatever you want to call them who would you pick if you're putting down 100 bucks on one team i would pick kansas um they played really solid this year they have again a really um experienced core of guys they don't have that one lottery pick I think that they've had in years past, but I think that's what makes them a better team is they've had guys that play together a lot. Um, Graham and uh, uh, Frank Mason at the point guard position, 
Wayne Selvin's been playing really well. Of course, Perry Ellis, Landon Lucas. Um, they've got a really, really solid team. Um, so, yeah, I think they have the best shot out of anybody in the field to win it this year. But, again, you never know what could happen. North Carolina could do it. They've been kind of up and down, though. Um, again, if I also, you know, if I pick two teams to put my money on, I'd probably pick Michigan State just because of Tom Izzo. I think I'm with you. Probably I could see a strong argument for Kansas. But if I'm putting money on it, I might go with Tom Izzo right now. And if any team that I want to win, you know, aside from Duke, then that's not going to happen. It would probably be um, would probably be Virginia going for the ACC, and I'm okay with North Carolina winning. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not caught up into that robbery at all. I, I would be okay with any ACC team team winning. So wait a second, you're a, you're a Clemson fan who went to Clemson that some for some reason likes Duke basketball, and you don't hate North Carolina. No, I, I don't care. I don't I don't hate South Carolina either. So you're a paradox. I hate I hate losing. <laughs> I hate Clemson losing. Um, Anyhow, okay, so getting back to Clemson, um, that's enough for the NCAA tournament. Again, it'll be fun to see how this all plays out. Um, this is one of the most exciting times of the year over the next uh, three weeks or so, um, and especially this first weekend. A lot of exciting things happen. Um, but let's get back to talking Clemson. Let's jump into football. Uh, we've got some spring practice and recruiting notes. First off, and this is, you know, you hate to see this every year, but you know it's going to happen, it's injuries. And the first big one uh, to bite us this year has been cornerback Adrian Baker's gone down with an ACL, ACL tear. Cody, we're already thin at this position. They say he's going to be back in September, but it's an ACL. You can't expect you got to be ready in September. Yeah, I mean, you, and you could say that we're thin is an understatement because we, we really have about two guys that we, really we have one guy at this point that we feel confident in. Baker was supposed to give us a veteran presence, a guy who had a good redshirt sophomore year, entering his fourth year into the program. We felt we felt good that he was going to take that, you know, have that natural progression, take a small leap, and be a, a good player for us. Um, now we're down to really two guys. We have obviously Tankersley. We feel good about him, and then Mark Fields. And you know, Mark Fields definitely has the talent, but he 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 had less than 100 snaps last year. I don't think there's a whole lot of confidence that he's. He's there yet, and not to say that he won't be by the by the fall, and that you know maybe it takes a little bit of time throughout the season, but he's not there. So man, what we really can't we really can't take any more any losses there in the secondary, including safety. But I, I look at um, I look at other options there, and there's there's Edmonds, Marcus Edmonds, who who's also his fourth year in the program, and who hasn't the coaches just don't feel like they have a lot of trust. He in He hasn't him. stood out yet, and I guess your argument could be if he hasn't stood out yet, what and after his first three years, what makes you think he's going to? Right, and the case I guess the the case could be made, you know, looking at like a guy like Gary Peters, who it was in his fourth year with the program that he started to emerge, and by his fifth year he was all ACC. So you never know, and sometimes guys get it together later than you know some some later than others. But right now, it's it's Takersley, it's Mark Fields, and maybe Trayvon Mullen, true freshman, who will be putting a lot of faith in to, to be ready by the fall. What do you think about a red uh, shirt sophomore uh, Denzel Johnson getting a chance? This will be his third year in the program. The staffs talked about him a little bit. Um, it'll be a, I believe his second year with the with the program. Well, this will be his third year if he's a redshirt sophomore. I believe he's just a sophomore. Right? He's a he's a redshirt freshman, I believe. Um, so, cause he, yeah, he's a he should be a redshirt freshman. So he, I, you know, he's a guy that three star came in. I, I think Dabo was kind of reaching when he when he when he accepted him or offered him, 
I'd love to see this guy emerge because we don't have a lot of depth. Granted, you know, we, we've had the Amir Traps and uh, the Brian Dawkins Juniors of the world who hopefully they'll emerge too. But, you know, at this point it's looking like those are just legacy scholarships that are going, that are going to waste. Um, but, yeah, we, looking at the true freshman, Trayvon Mullen might be that guy. Do you see a guy like Ryan Carter, who was previously listed as a cornerback, has been moved to safety? Do you, do you see him getting some reps there? Yeah, he'll, he'll certainly cross-train. And I, I don't think his, he's going to be in, a, in the greatest position plan at cornerback. I, I like him at safety. I like him at nickel. He's, he did a good job there last year. That's more of his, his natural skill set, even though he's, he's undersized. He's, he plays like a safety. He, he plays downhill a little bit. He's a big hitter at 170 pounds, and fortunately, uh, the cornerback position, I mean, at least we'll have a little bit of experience there, but that's not his optimal position. Well, let's take a look at another position that we do have some quality depth at, and that is uh, in running back, we see some talent emerging, namely Adam Choice. What's going on there? We, obviously, if you looked just a year ago, we, were, we thought we had, and I think I said it too, just a pool of mediocrity. Who can emerge from all the mediocrity? I think I said that. I was pretty hard on the running backs. And I, I really didn't necessarily like Wayne Goleman as our future back. Um, I like Tyshawn Dye to step in. I was, how wrong was I? But uh, Goleman, as we all know, emerged, became unbelievable. You know, Choice had the unfortunate injury and was still recovering. He never got in. And then from there, we really just, after Goleman, he got all the snaps. You know, Brooks is gone now. Um, so what's happening though is Choice is back. He, he's you know he's been healthy now for about six months or more, and he's ready to go. And he apparently he's look, he looked really good at, at during the bowl season at practice. He looks really good again, and that's not including Feaster, who's not on campus yet. The one uh, wild card could be Tyshawn Dye, who he had an Achilles heel injury and he's still recovering. He, I wonder if he what he looks like with his confidence, with his strength, and um, you know physically if he's back up to 100. percent do you see Feaster getting a lot of playing time this year coming off an injury? I, I did. I did at first initially, but knowing that he has this injury, knowing that we do have at least two guys that we feel really good about at running back, I'm starting to think he might get pushed on down the depth chart. I think he will. I don't think he'll redshirt, and I think he could be useful in a lot of situations and help the club. But, I mean, you got as a true freshman, you have like pass protection you have to think about, and I don't think he's going to be there yet. I, I, he'll get some reps, not a whole lot, though. I can't see it. Well, let's talk about a guy that he could be paired with uh, and will be a good complement to him here in the near future. Um, the Tigers got a commit from 2017 four-star running back uh, Cordarian Richardson. Uh, Cody, this is a big kid. Yeah, perfect complement to Feaster, too. Because we, we used to have Thunder and Lightning with Spiller and James Davis, but those were really just two variations of Lightning, um, whereas Richardson is really Thunder. He, he's about 220 as a high school junior, now, he'll probably grow into 230, 235, um, all, you know, all muscle, and uh, really a, a downhill runner in between the, the A-gap. He, he's going to break tackles. Um, he's not, you're not going to be able to arm tackle him, and he doesn't necessarily have breakaway speed, but he's got good speed for a guy his size. Reminds me a little bit of Todd Gurley, and that's, that's aiming high, setting wow. the ball really high. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's not going to be Todd Gurley, but... It, just from the way he runs, breaking arm tackles and running, and, and not trying to make you like like uh, what's his name, Jamie Harper? What do they call him? The 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 shaky bear or something? Where he was just trying to juke everybody? <laughs> Please, was he really the shaky bear? I, can't remember. I don't know if it was shaky bear. It was something. I it was, hope he was the shaky bear. <laughs> I need to look that up. But I'm calling him shaky bear for now on. Sounds right. 
Anyway, but he, <laughs> Richardson's not going to be jumping around trying to make guys miss. He's going to he's got a quick. He can cut really quickly and accelerate. And if he doesn't miss, he's going to run you over. You're going to tackle him, but you're not going to worry about him dancing around. Dancing bear. That's it. Dancing bear. <laughs> That's even better, right? Um, yeah. Well. <laughs> One thing the dancing bear could have benefited from in his time here and something that these running backs next year are definitely going to benefit from is the staff has been really impressed with the talent and depth across the O-line. You know, uh, the, the coaching staff really pinpointed uh, and targeted uh, recruiting top quality talent on the offensive line the past couple of years, and it's really starting to show. It showed last year for sure with Mitch Hyatt stepping in um, early, I mean, all season really, and, and playing so well. But a lot of these other guys are coming along too. Yeah, the staff is stoked. They were happy last year, and when I think everyone was somewhat doubting them about, you know, they said this will be the best line that we've had here in 10 years, and I didn't believe it. I was hoping, I was hopeful, but I didn't, I didn't believe it. And now they're saying they're really just stoked about all the depth. And we're talking about Taylor Hearn stepping in at left guard uh, for McLean. And McLean was, he was a great player. I won't say he was a great player. He was, he was a solid, really good player with great leadership qualities. Hearn is really talented. He's more talented than than uh, McLean. So that's a gr- I mean, just filling him in, put it, plugging him in, plugging uh, for Morgan there at right tackle, who from day one will probably be better than Joe Gore was last year. But then you got Maverick Morris. You've got um, Justin Fascinelli. You've got Noah Green. Uh, the, you know, the list goes on. I mean, the, the guys that are really developing. Not to mention two true freshmen, Sean Pollard, that's been showing out as well as Tremaine Ankrum, three star. Who that guy's gonna? He's gonna make an impact. He might even burn a redshirt this year, but we, we don't know. But we do know he will make an impact probably by next year. So it sounds like we're pretty set across the offensive line. You know, this has been a, a position uh, that Clemson really lacked at and really held us back for several years, really winning the game in the trenches. And now we're doing that on both sides of the ball. We're really stocking up the young uh, talent on our defensive line, but our offensive line is really developed as well. And we're getting a lot of guys in early. Uh, getting a lot of playing time and are confident enough to play the position. And you start them in as freshmen, and let's say they're here, you know, four years, maybe only three years in Mitch Hyatt's case, you know, and then you balance that uh, by uh, kind of having these alternating these cycles of having some upperclassmen and underclassmen. Uh, that really keeps you going and in good shape for a very long time. You don't really have a down year. Right. And part of it goes to leadership and cohesion, and you see this smooth handoff in, in leadership from. From McLean and, and other guys to Jamie Jay Guillermo and and I'm sure that'll be passed on to Hyatt and from Morgan and and some other guys but yeah it, it's it's there's a lot of variables but you know the one thing that generally will uh, will play out over and over and and, and prevail is, is talent and that's that's really been the, the number one priority and we're seeing the dividends okay well let's uh, wrap it up here on spring practice uh, with one more thing it sounds like that we're seeing a lot more interceptions this year during spring practice than we saw last year yeah we're talking this is uh, more than last year Deshaun wasn't available last year so these are Deshaun Watson's interceptions most of them and, and then some backups so not a good sign we um, saw him have some problems with that that was one of his biggest problems throughout the year was interceptions yeah and it's very odd because towards the end of the year he felt a lot more comfortable at the beginning it was very unshaky rightfully so coming off the ACL but this is very odd maybe it's just because our secondary is so damn good they're ball hawking <laughs> back there I was just about to say that maybe that's a reason for us to feel better about our really thin <laughs> secondaries that they're really good and maybe McKenzie Alexander was really holding them back yeah I think so <laughs> So speaking of Mac, um, let's get to the NFL, um, uh, the Combine and Pro Day. You know, Mac did not 
participate in the NFL Combine due to injury, but he did participate at Clemson's Pro Day. He's a fast dude. Was he four four speed? Yeah, and if you look back, if you listen back two weeks, I said I don't think he'll break four five. I didn't think he had top end speed like that. He ran a four four flat, and I think that's. I mean, that's not like blow you away for a secondary or cornerback player, but that's pretty darn good when you when you measure against how he already looks on tape. And the scouts will be like, "Wow, he's he's a really good cover corner," and that just kind of reinforces their confidence in him that he can run a four four. And yeah, the guy. I mean, the guy is good. He at least puts him in strong consideration for a first round pick now. It very very worst, he's an early second round. Um, well, not to mention uh, he's not the only one that showed some fantastic speed. T.J. Green really showed out too. I, I have a theory on Green, and that's he ran a four three two forty, which is that's fast. That's super fast. Yeah, that's jaw dropping. That's, that's one of the fastest people out there. Yeah, people like that will get you into like top drafts, like uh, top draft draft status, like quickly. So I wonder. I mean, he knew he knew he ran a four three two. I wonder if he knew like, hey, I when I get out there, I don't run you know my forty time. That's gonna and maybe some people were telling him the same. That's gonna get me. That's in, gonna turn heads. And a guy that a lot of us thought had no business coming out this year, um, with that type of speed. I mean, you could be if you can be coached up, you can be a great talent in the NFL. Well, I, I think it has less to do with how it will translate in the NFL and just how it, well. It will translate, but I think it's just the way that it, the way it looks on paper is very appealing to NFL scouts. Well, Val he Davis, still can make you could still make the argument that he should come back and learn to play the safety position at a higher level. Well, Val Davis was still alive. Uh, he and the Raiders would draft him first round <laughs> with that type of speed, no <laughs> question. Um, you know, we talk about T.J. Green. J. Ron Curse is really falling off, isn't he? Yeah, I, I think at this point the consensus is that Green will go ahead of Curse. He will be the number one Clemson safety off the board. And Green, I mean, or I'm sorry, Curse ran a four six one. That's like, that's linebacker speed. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not that's slower than Stephon Anthony. I'm not saying that he can't you know, make up for it. But if you're one, it's one thing if you're just a really technically sound, great technique and instincts at safety, and then you you might be a little bit slow. Okay, but when you also have film of you missing tackles and running the wrong direction, blown coverages, and you run a four six one, that's I mean. He really could have came back for an extra year for a lot of reasons. Well, it's interesting to see that he he did run that, um, he did clock that time because we saw him chase a lot of guys down, especially earlier in the season this year from behind. Yeah, he, he might be one of those guys, like he gets into his uh, optimal speed at around like 60-yard mark. <laughs> it's 40 yards, this isn't <laughs> enough, right? A little slow to get going there. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I mean, not that we're bashing on J. Ron Curtis here, um, but you know, both him and Green, we did think they could use a little bit more time uh, one more year in college football. I think it's really showing in J. Ron Curse, maybe not so much in T.J. Green again, but that could just be a speed issue. Um, but overall, it's another exciting year, another exciting NFL draft for, for the Clemson fan base because we're going to have a lot of guys going. And so it's not just a pride thing for us to be able to see these guys go into the NFL. This is also have a big impact on recruiting to see all these Clemson players show out and get drafted. Yeah, I read a very interesting article on Tiger Illustrated where it talked about the thing that's most that's most looked at by the next guy up, the next high school senior, is not, if you're a defensive end, it's not Daquan Bowers, it's not Gaines Adams, it's Vic Beasley or it is Shaq Lawson. You look at that guy that's right ahead of you because you want evidence of it and you're talking about kids that are 18, you know, they probably haven't been paying attention that long, but they want to, the guy that they know about Shaq Lawson, they probably don't know about Gaines Adams. 
Um, so just the idea being, you know, I saw you do it in the last three, four years with Lawson. You developed him, you got him through. You can do the same for me. So that's been the story they can tell. Not to mention Dabo is going to be on hand now um, for the for the combine for the select or uh, the actual. I'm sorry, not the combine, but the actual draft where he'll get the cameras on him once Shaq Lawson, who is probably our our one true we know first round pick. You know, the cameras will go to Dabo. Might even get an interview. And I mean that's great publicity, and they can they can call call uh, recruits up and, and be like you saw what happened with Shaq Lawson, you can be next. And when I would especially especially look to see Dabo get some uh, some airtime if we get three first round draft picks this year and Lawson, Dodd, and Mackenzie Alexander. I mean last year we had two and we thought that was great. We could have three this year. Right. I mean, I still I, I still think that Dodd and, and Mackenzie Alexander might push into the second round, but either way, you got three guys that are going to be there. You know, in the high rounds, high for, high second, early for or late first. Yeah, well, you know, it's a good barometer for how your program is doing, um, really, to see how many guys you're sending into the NFL. And, and Clemson's not only bringing in top quality recruits and developing some under recruited guys, and then turning that into success on the field, and then sending those guys to the NFL. Um, it's, it's it's just a it's a we're now a talent a football factory here. You know we keep bringing good guys in and we keep you know doing great things with them and sending them on to future success. So all the pieces are in place. Dabo's doing everything right, and we continue to talk about this. Clemson football is looking very very good uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, a sport that Clemson's not looking so great in for the foreseeable future. Let's flip over to basketball now. Um, as we speak, uh, I. Th- I think the NCAA, the NIT tournament uh, selection is about to, to go on. So we're not sure yet whether or not Clemson is going to make it into the NIT. We may know by the time we're done recording this episode. Uh, but let's talk about what we have in front of us so far. Clemson basketball ended 17-14 and 14 this year. It's a 10-8 and 8 ACC record, which normally you'd be like, great, we finished above 500 in the ACC. Uh, but it, was, it really wasn't so great. We finished tied 7th in the ACC. Here's the thing. We started five and one in the ACC, then went seven and three, or and then went to seven and three. So if we're sitting pretty at seven and three. You got to think at that point, even with our bad out of conference losses, that we're in good shape, having just beat um, uh, th- wait, three ranked teams in a row, and we have the worst part of our the weakest part of our schedule ahead of us. But then we go three and five over our last eight, and this is a hugely this has been a hugely disappointing season, and. You can say, oh, well, it's great to see what they did because we didn't think we were going to go anywhere um, anyways because of how we played out of conference, but that shouldn't be an excuse. If you go through that stretch and play that well in the ACC, you have to be able to set your up, yourself up for success and make it to the NCAA tournament, and we squandered an opportunity. Absolutely, and I, I mean, I think you look at the wins over Duke and, and Louisville and Syracuse, and maybe we got a little bit too optimistic at that point because all of those teams, um, you know, they're not – they're not top ten teams this year. They're not, they're not just not on that level. But they're better than than Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. And if you can beat those guys, you should be expected to beat these other teams. Especially Georgia Tech. We lost a six another huge lead. I think it was a sixteen point lead this time in the ACC tournament. That, that was a huge collapse, right at the end of the game. Right. I mean, and that's that doesn't make an excuse for losing to Georgia Tech. It's just to say that maybe we we became a little too optimistic. Really, the the ceiling of this team was probably never really that high. Um, you know, we beat it. We beat a few teams that traditionally we think of as just you know blue bloods and top powers, but you know they were they they weren't that great either. And ultimately, yeah, we we really 
really stunk it up, though. And it, really what you saw in the, in the early product of the team, the early portion of the season, probably was a truer sense of what the team was. And it still doesn't – it really still doesn't make uh, – justify – the, the finish, but ultimately just not a not a great not a great team, not a great end product in, in Brownell, which we'll talk about in just a second. See, and He's got to be disappointed. Yeah, I'll disagree to a certain extent there about this this team ceiling because even in our losses, think about it, we had three very close losses to two number one seeds in the NCAA tournament, uh, two losses to Virginia, one loss on the road to North Carolina. And a lot of our other losses were actually really close, some where we gave up a lead and just kind of froze near the end of the game, and that points a lot to coaching. Um, you know, heading into the ACC tournament, had we won two games, I think, and and then lost our third one, that would have put us at 19 and 14. We would have had to, I think, believe, uh, beat Virginia, which everybody knows it's hard to beat a team um, uh, three times uh, during the basketball season, so I think we had a good shot there considering how that we did play them close two times earlier in the season, I think at that 19-14 and 14 record, we still have a strong shot uh, to make a case to make it into the NCAA tournament. But, it, you know, we, we had that opportunity. We had the huge lead against Georgia Tech, and we just let it sip, slip between our fingers. It's really disappointing to see. People can make excuses and say, well, we didn't play that well um, at a conference, so we were lucky to even be in it. But, again, I think that's just an excuse. And... And one reason I think it's an excuse is because we should not have lost to a lot of those bad teams out of conference. So we really shouldn't have been in this position to where 10 and 8 doesn't get us in and isn't good enough. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It shouldn't have lost to those bad teams, certainly. And that does go to coaching. You're right there. <clears throat> I'm just thinking a best-case scenario for this team. It was we need, we need Grantham to really take a step forward. And I think I feel like now it might be asking too much or at least asking too much too soon. We need Avery Holmes to be an all-conference, all you know, sidekick to Blossom game. He wasn't, he wasn't able to do that, nor was obviously Grantham. Um, we needed DeVoe to develop into an outside threat. He didn't. He wasn't able to do that. Like, we needed all these things to happen. It's kind of like when you look at football, like, you know, we need, we need to develop a pass rush. We need to develop some cornerbacks. Like, when you have all these question marks and you don't have, like, sol- solid answers, we do in football. We know four-star guys are stepping in. But when you don't have that in basketball, then I think – you, you put yourself up for a, a lot of uh, volatility, and we ended up on the wrong end of the, the spectrum there. Well, it all starts at the guard position in, um, in college basketball. We did not get consistent play from our point guards. Um, Holmes came on near the end of the season. He did improve his shooting. He got up to 10 points a game. But Roper just kind of disappeared. Um, his season took a nosedive and ended up below uh, 10 points a game, only shooting 34% from three-point range. Um, again, Avery Holmes was supposed to be come in, come in as a three-point threat. Um, you know, he still had low shooting percentages this year. Um, Gabe DeVoe, I think he was, a, at this point, a bust in recruiting. Um, he's only shooting 30% from three, so a lot of disappointment there. Um, I agree with Grantham. You know, I, I know he's young, but he's had two full seasons in college basketball now. He's shooting better from the outside. He's up at 35% from three. But his inside game is just really not there and hasn't developed. He's still not confident with that. And I think the telling sign is he's 35% from three, only 38% overall from the floor. That means his his shooting percentage inside the arc is a lot lower than it really should be. Yeah, that's and normally when you, when you have a good three point shot, it'll, it'll open you up to more driving, and uh, you know players or uh, defenders will will come out on you to guard, and, and it'll hopefully you know leave up leave leave open some things. Which uh, that, that's very surprising that it's that low. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest disappointment for me, though, has been Landry Noko. Um, he just could not stay on the court this year. He was constantly in foul trouble. Um, and there has just been no development out of him, really, in his four seasons here. Let me give you these numbers. Um, his sophomore year, he averaged 28 minutes a game. That went down to 24 minutes as a junior, down to 22 as a senior. His fouls per 40 minutes, however, increased over that time period, averaging 3.8 per 40 minutes as a sophomore, 5.3 as a junior, and 5.4 this last year as a senior. I mean, this, this kid did nothing, unfortunately, but take steps backwards. We did not see this coaching staff be able to develop him and teach him how to be a better defender and not foul. And if, yeah, his scoring improved, but if he's not on the court, if he can't even stay on the court for barely half the game, it's not much use to us. Well, here's, here's a couple of telltale signs where, where it is coaching, in, in basketball particularly. Well, A, like a lot of these, these collapses late in the game, two now to Georgia Tech in the last two weeks, there's not a bunch of freshmen on the floor. There's guys that have been around long enough to where they, they should be able to withstand you know, a comeback from Georgia Tech. And you also have a really good player in Blossom game. Like You have a, a leader and a guy that should be able to will you through. So that's one area. And then, and then obviously um, just the, the body language there at the end, like you just didn't feel a whole lot of confidence. It was slipping away, and it was like there was nothing they could do. And then maybe the last thing is player development. That's, co- that's on coaching, right? Yeah, absolutely. Talking about Noko and, and Roper, who were hoping they would at least be solid, reliable veterans. And, you know, they were up and down. Sometimes they, they were, sometimes they weren't. And that leaves us uh, in the Noko situation having to rely on City Jute. Um, he did have a major improvement with his offensive game this year. He shot 62%. But again, he couldn't stay on the court. He averaged 7.4 fouls per 40 minutes this year. So that lets you know some, something's not clicking with, with our coaches coaching up the big men. Um, that being said, if we do make the NIT, I think City Jate should start over Landry Noko just to get him out there, get him in the experience, and start uh, refining his game because we're going to need him next year because – you know, inside we've got this. We'll talk about this too. We got this transfer from Texas A&M coming in. Um, he's only, a, I think he's like a six-seven-six-eight guy. And then Legend Roberton, but you know, we saw Roberton this year. He's a true seven-footer, but he's pretty raw. And what we've seen from this coaching staff being able to develop the big guys, it's not looking good. So City's going to kind of have to maybe do a little bit on his own. Right. That's that's kind of that's you. You really hope that I guess it's Thomas from A&M, Texas A&M. You really hope he can be something by next year. Well, and he was an ESPN top 50 recruit. I think he was like the 31st um, uh, recruit overall last year. And Texas A&M was a really good team this year. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he can come in and make an impact. He won't be here to December. We'll see how that works out. Um, but, but last things we're talking about these players real quick. Let's do give a shout-out to Jerome Blossom game. What a turnaround and, and a guy that really did develop, and I think a lot based on raw athletic talent. Um, he was voted first team all ACC. I don't think he's ready for the NBA, but he did have a great uh, season. And that being said, I don't really see what incentive he has to come back next year. Yeah, I think another part of that is he could transfer as well if he, if he graduates early. So, and that might make a lot of sense. Go play for a team that has a chance to put you on a, a you know platform where you can be you know get more eyeballs from scouts. You know, that, I hadn't even thought about that. I think that would be paralyzing for this program, even worse. So then if he went to the NBA draft, for him to transfer? It'd be a shot in the, in the gut for sure. And, but it would make a lot of sense for him because I think he is, on, if he played for Duke, if he played for Kansas or North Carolina, he could potentially be looked at as a first-round pick. I think playing for Clemson, whatever reason, you know, 
actually we probably can put together the reasons. He's not looked at as a first-round pick, but I think he has that talent, or at least we'll say at least he has first- or second-round talent. Well, I'm not sure when he's on schedule to graduate, so I'm not sure if that's even a possibility, but it's interesting that you do bring that up because we'll get in now to the, the making the case to fire Brad Brownell, but I, I think if, especially if, if Blossom Game transfers, that's a huge hit to Brownell's his credibility as a coach and to give Clemson any reason and D-Rad any reason to keep him on. Yeah, it, it's, it's scary. Well, the, I mean, we, I think we both would agree that he, he'll stay on just because of the buyout. It's too large. See, okay, well, I, to a certain extent, I disagree to that. Here's why. First off, everybody's been making the case that a renovated Little John Coliseum will make a difference going into next year. We've got to give Brad the opportunity to get in there. We were 13-4 and four at home this season. Okay, so playing at the well was not the issue. We were 4-10 and 10 away from home, and maybe only three of those 10 uh, teams haven't taken a look yet, but I think three of those 10 losses um, came against NCAA tournament teams. So those other seven losses weren't really against good teams. So the fact that thinking playing at Little John's going to make a difference, we did just fine at home this year. I think the, the thinking is that it would actually – I haven't heard that. I've heard the argument that it would be a better reason for him to leave before allowing a new coach to come in with a new, fresh facility. I've heard that as a reason to fire him. I haven't heard that necessarily as a reason to keep him. Well, that was the, that was the narrative is like, okay, it doesn't matter how Brennell does this year. We've got to give him um, next year back in Little John Coliseum because this is a transition year. It's going to be tough for them to play in Greenville. But obviously it wasn't. They were 13-4 at home. They did just fine. Right. It, it, goes, it comes down to the buyout, though, and it, I just think it's way too much. For a, it's a revenue-producing sport in basketball, but it's not football. Football is what carries the most weight, and it's not even close. I just don't see how they could come to terms with, with that, that buyout. And I can't remember if it's three or something million, but you look at D-Rad, that was a – I mean, he's, he's kind of riding the coattails of Dabo and his success. As long as, da- as Dabo keeps doing well and he keeps giving him that support – but Everything he, is going to be great. He, he made the tough call firing Jack Leggett. So give him a point for that, but maybe give him like negative two points for whatever reason for giving him this type of extension for Brad Brunell. I, I mean, I, I don't think he had did, done anything up at that point to justify it. Not to say that he was a bad coach that we shouldn't have given him a chance, but I felt like it was like a little bit rewarding him for something that he hadn't done. No, I mean, and putting yourself in a situation where if you need uh, to, to fire him, you can't do it. And that's where, that's where we are, I guess it's like two, two and a half years later now. Well, I mean, to be fair to Brownell, he does have a, a 481 winning percentage in the ACC, which for Clemson actually is pretty good. Um, and a 552 winning percentage overall, I don't think he's had a, uh, I'm not sure, I don't think he's had a losing season. Uh, but that doesn't really mean anything if you're not making NCAA tournaments. He's only made one, and that was the year where he, he, he came in after Oliver Purnell. Uh, so what he's been able to do on his own, he had that one good year with K.J. McDaniels, but again, that was all on K.J. McDaniels. You know, had some big wins this year, but how much of that was on drawn blossom game? You know, can he do it? I mean, can he do it without maybe an NBA-talented guy? Because he sure as heck can't do it with an NBA-talented guy, at least not so far. And I, I don't feel like, I'm trying to say this the right way, when we recruit Christian Wilkins, we know what we're getting. When we, when we recruit Dexter Lawrence in football or Sammy Watkins in basketball, we know what we're, or, um, or football, wide receiver, we know what we're getting. KJ McDaniels just, I mean, he was a solid recruit, and so was Boston game, but they both emerged. So what I'm saying is you kind of got lucky that you hit on both of these guys, especially McDaniels, who I think was really, really good. Uh, not to take anything away from Boston game. But it's not. There's no formula in place that's going to allow you to 
if you if you keep doing the same thing, it's insanity, right? You expect a different result. I don't I don't expect a KJ McDaniels to keep popping up. I don't necessarily expect a Blossom game. I expect there to be more Dante Grantham's than there are Jerome Blossom games. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I, I guess continuing on this conversation of why he should be fired, it, you'll then talk about that we are going into a new arena next year, and you could get a new young coach in to really ignite the, the fan base. We do have these talented transfers that will have eligibility next year, and they're probably not going to transfer again, right? So you don't expect firing the coach is necessarily going to mean that they leave as well. Um, it could be the dagger, in meaning the Blossom game is definitely going to leave. Um, but, you know, how long do we deal with this cycle of give Brownell another year and see what he does? I mean, do we really want to waste another year? I don't know. But what's the case for keeping him? Um, well, I think, one, let's see if we get into the NIT and how well we do in the NIT. Because if we get in and we actually make a, a decent, deep run, then I think he kind of, you know, secures his job for another year. It is the contract buyout, but the other big question is, who else is out there is available right now? Is there somebody that Clemson could say, we want that guy, and that guy really can take our program places? Or is there just another pool of Brad Belnell type of guys where you're like, you know, he did decent in a mid-major, let's give him an opportunity? Well, I mean, we did pull, uh, I think Virginia Tech pulled Bud, Buzz Williams from Marquette to Virginia Tech. Uh, and I think the ACC has a little bit more, I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming, trending towards the SEC of college basketball. Um, I think there's a little bit. It has a little bit more pull. He's got a new facility. I, I'm not saying it's it's easy to win at Clemson, and then it's it's going to be easy to sell. But I think you could be, you can make a case that it's more appealing now than it was five years ago. Okay, breaking news here. Let's see how this changes your mind. Clemson misses out on an NIT bid. Eh, I don't think it changed. How does that change your mind? We we did five and one, three straight wins against top ten teams. We were sitting at seven and three in the ACC. And then had well, a huge. What, my last comment there was actually saying, uh, you know, more actually leaning more towards Brad Brownell, like not do not being actually saying that we could find a coach that is that's more suitable than Brad Brownell. So that doesn't change my mind. That actually just add more fuel to my argument there. So well, let's talk about okay. Let's talk about it now. This is new information coming in. How does this change the narrative? We are not going to the NIT. Is is this a situation where maybe it could have been for the worse how we made it because we get embarrassed? That's even worse for Brownell. Or the fact that we didn't make it, period. That's to, I, I think that uh, we didn't make it, period, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, after everything, again, everything this team was able to accomplish during that stretch at the beginning of ACC play, to not be able to capitalize on that and miss out completely on the postseason, I think that's huge. And I think D-Rat has to take this uh, into consideration. And honestly, at this point, I'm saying that I think we should wipe the slate clean and start over with a brand new coach. Yeah, and, and Brownell can he'll have a nice little retirement fund or severance fund, whatever you want to call it. But I'm just saying uh, we can't keep going through this. I mean, there's no excuse not to make. I mean, there could be a, a argument made why there was no excuse not to make the NCAA tournament this year, especially with a guy like Blossom game, and we were sitting at a certain point during the season. But then not to even make the postseason in the NIT. Um, there's really just no excuse for that. I know we're not a great. Uh, uh, powerhouse in basketball. We don't have a great history, but that doesn't mean we have to accept being mediocre because we all aspire to be better in basketball. And if you're going to aspire to do that, if you're the athletic director and you're aspiring to do that, as part of your job is to make um, all of our sports better, I think you have to make this tough decision. I don't care about the buyout. The buyout's an excuse. We just probably got a lot of money into the athletic department by uh, playing in two college football playoff games. Use some of that money to pay Brownell and bring another guy in. 
Well, we actually didn't get that much money. We, we actually lost a little bit of money, which is surprising. But ultimately... Well, um, then we didn't lose as much as we could have <laughs> had we played in the Meineke Car Care Bowl. That's, uh, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, traveling like a, a band of 100-plus is a lot. But anyway... Um, yeah, the, so the basketball team, I think what you're saying, too, is, is an element in all sports, both pro and in college. It's, it's the element of hope that hopefully we won't remain mediocre and we'll, we'll plunge to the bottom for a while and be as bad as we can if, we can if it can mean we'll get back to the top. And, you know, it's not quite the same way. We don't, there's no draft or uh, no lottery in, the, in college basketball, but it's one of those things. We're okay starting over and tearing it down because this model isn't going to get us anything beyond mediocrity. And we're okay with... We're we're okay with trying with trying and, and and failing, but we're not okay with settling with mediocrity or even what could you could be considered a little bit less than the mediocre. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, you know, I'll give him credit for this. He's changed his recruiting style and his strategies. He's been going after transfers. Um, we got again. We talked about Elijah Thomas, six nine, two thirty five pound guy coming in from Texas A and M. Um, we've also got guard Marquise Reed. Uh, he was a transfer from Robert Morris. Um, he was the Northeast Conference Rookie of the Year two years ago, averaging 15.1 points a game. He scored 19 points in their play-in game um, against North Florida uh, in the NCAA tournament and then had 22 points in a loss to Duke. So that kid has experience. He has talent. Um, Three-star, or sorry, another transfer guard, Shelton Mitchell, coming in. This is a 6'4 guard. He's got a, you know, Long body for a guard, transfer from Vanderbilt, who is in the NCAA tournament this year. He played in 31 games as a freshman. He's more of a pass-first guard, averaging only 4.3 points a game. But a guy that can uh, run the offense, uh, protect the ball, and distribute it to some more able scores. Always be good to have. Um, and then finally, a three-star shooting guard slash shooting forward, Scott Spencer, will be our only high school signee. We'll see you know, if there is a coaching change, if he sticks around. But he has good shooting ability. Defense is a bit of a liability at this point, um, but that can always be developed. Um, add that to Ty Hudson, who got some valuable, valuable playing time this year, and Legend Roberton if he develops. And we could have a good group of talented players next year, especially if Blossom Games stays. That still doesn't mean Brownell should stay because I'm not sure, sure this coaching staff can develop them to a point where they are successful or at least be able to fully capitalize on the talent that is there. And, and make a run into the tournament because even if we make it back to the tournament, probably gonna lose the first game. I mean, that's sorry, that's just what's been happening. Um, so unfortunately, Clemson basketball not a great day, not a great end of the season. It started crappy, ended crappy. We had some highlights there during the middle of the season. I would say at this point, the only thing that could have kept Brownell his job, in my opinion, had he won at North Carolina in Chapel Hill. So let's talk about something. More exciting, Clemson baseball. Monty Lee has uh, taken Clemson, uh, the Clemson world by storm uh, following up on Jack Leggett's firing last year. Clemson baseball is now 11-3, 2-1 in the ACC. They won the series against South Carolina last weekend after dropping the first game. Clayton Schmidt and Alex Eubanks had some great starts. Uh, they just won the series against Wake Forest today, 2-1 after dropping the first game. Big comeback win today. Chris Oakey had a grand slam uh, to put us ahead. Um, overall, this team is playing more loose, not getting down on themselves when they get behind, which is good to see and something that Jack Leggett teams uh, were um, kind of suspects to. Um, Cody, excitement around baseball. Yeah, and I, I expected there to be excitement. I didn't expect it this soon. And I think there's, there's it's more than just talent, but I think we're seeing an emergence of, 
of real offensive firepower that we haven't seen in quite some time. But but also just uh, there's a buzz about the team. Uh, like you said, being down early, they've they've had I think what two come from behind wins now. It, um, it, it's it, I mean it's, and obviously we're going to talk about your your boy Seth Beer. But man, I mean, there, there's talent. I mean, not, not aside from beer. Oki is an all-American. He's like a all-American caliber player. Um, Rollman is another guy that's up there as like an all-American. That's there's there is a solid core. Chase Pender's hitting out of his mind. Like there's just there's a lot of great things to be excited about. Yeah, a lot of guys are really hitting the ball now. To be fair, we haven't played the best of talent yet this year. South Carolina is not what they used to be, although they still are going to be a good team, and that's a good series win. Picked up the series win on the road against Wake Forest. But yeah, let's talk about Seth Beer. He's batting 404 with seven home runs and 20 RBIs so far this year. Cody, this kid should be playing high school ball right now. He came into Clemson early. He could be playing his senior season in high school right now. This kid's already I, hitting like this. Like, I, why, why didn't he go to the draft? That was good. I, I don't. You said he, he should be playing high school ball. I think he should be playing in like single A or double A right now. Because he's at least. He's like, he reminds me of Sammy Watkins. We came in, he just made a splash, and you're like, oh my God, this guy is amazing. You heard it here first, guys, on the podcast. Seth Beer's baseball versions of Sammy Watkins. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, he, he's, 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 he's walking the walk, we'll say that. But it, it's, like, it's just like football is like baseball, you get three years. Like we got, we got three more years or two more years of this guy. And wow, what a, what a pickup. I'm just glad he didn't go to the draft. That seems like that might have been a better option right now. Well, Seth Beer is our Sammy Watkins uh, this year. And Reed Rollman is our DeAndre Hopkins. He's picking up where he left off last year in his sophomore year. He's batting 321. Um, and then you mentioned Pender. He's batting at a 327 clip with five home runs. Uh, at, at the leadoff position. At the leadoff position. Yeah. Weston Wilson batting 377 right now. I mean, you keep running off these batting averages. We see so many in the high 300s and beer over 400. Andrew Cox, you know, we mentioned this in the last episode, whether or not uh, Chris Williams was going to uh, sit the bench at first base since he was struggling at the plate. Andrew Cox, that has happened. Andrew Cox has come in. He's batting 381 so far this year. Um, Chris Oakey off to a little bit of a slow start, maybe pressing a little bit, but he got his average up to 260 today after hitting that grand slam. Um Renwick over at third. He's been really struggling at the plate and in the field, so it'll be interesting to see. I think Batson started for him today um, to see if he gets more time off, to see if somebody else can come in there and hit a little bit better, field a little bit better. Uh, but overall, this team is hitting really well. Um, I would like to see the batting average closer to 300. It's a 286 right now. We hit 288 as a team last year, uh, actually. Um, but we got 16 home runs so far this year compared to the 13 all of last year. So there's the power numbers, and that really balances out if you have a little bit of lower batting average. If you're hitting the ball over the fence, you're going to be driving in runs. Right, and that's the thing with Oki. You know, we, we, he is hitting 260, but I expect that to go up, and you're, 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 hitting, you're producing with the RBIs and the home runs, then I think it's okay. And that's, it's just a, it's a surprise by me, and I, I wonder if this is just talent naturally progressing, and it probably a little bit is, uh, part of it is that, but how much is Monty Lee just maybe making these guys feel loose? Like, and how much... That mental aspect, that leadership, how much that impacts the players and their improvement. Oh, I think without a doubt it really does. I mean, he, he brings a new enthusiasm and, and fire to this team that I, I think we didn't see out of Jack Leggett the last few years of uh, his career as a Clemson baseball coach. So this is exactly what this program needed, and this is exactly what the fan base wanted to see. Um, you now, the hitting's been good. The pitching has been up and down so far this year, and it's still going to be a weak spot of this team. Um, Barnes and Schmidt have had good games. They've had some bad games. They didn't have great games this weekend against Wake Forest. Um, 
and, and the question is still going to be for the Sunday starter spot. You know, everybody thought after Alex Eubanks' uh, great Sunday start last week against South Carolina that he was for sure going to be our Sunday starter. Well, he gave up six uh, earned runs really early today against Wake Forest and got out of there real quick. Um, so I wouldn't count Jake Higginbotham out yet. He was moved to a midweek starter. He had three earned runs and 4.1 innings pitched against Winthrop. Um, so still a lot of question marks there uh, for that Sunday starter and midweek starters as well. The bullpen, however, has been pretty solid with Bostic, Crawl, Crawford, and Schnell. Uh, but the question is, does that hold up against better competition as the season goes along? And I, I still think depth is going to be an issue here. If I, I don't know about depth when you talk about like pitching and other things, but what I worry about is is the errors. If you if you do have question marks at pitching, yeah, the the fielding percentages don't look like you're seeing a lot of improvement there. That's that's when I, I start to worry a little bit, and that's how like that will be. It won't be the offense that it will you know be the the thing that decides the season. It'll be those two components. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this pitching staff is going to pitch to contact this year, so we're going to need to be very solid defensively. And so far, we've we've got a 967 fielding percentage. It's up a little bit, a few ticks from last year, 959. But I I'd like to see that closer to 975 or 980. Uh, Renwick's had problems. Eli White has had a few errors. We had three in the game today against Wake Forest. Um, so we're really going to have to improve on that. So when you look at areas of the team. We see them playing loose when they're hitting and trying to come from behind. Maybe still not seeing them play loose enough in the field. Uh, so again, maybe just shaking off some rust from the offseason as they get into the season. We'll see that improve, but that's something that definitely will have to improve if this team's going to go places, especially since we start playing better competition. Speaking of that competition, we've got a tough ACC schedule ahead. We're now done with our first uh, ACC series. We've got d games down in Charleston coming up. Uh, this week against the Citadel, and then our next two weekend series are against Boston College um, and Miami, who both have pretty uh, good records so far this year. Uh, historically, Miami, a good ba uh, baseball program. I will say the one advantage that Clemson does have this year is that North Carolina and Virginia are not on the schedule due to the expanded ACC. So those are two of the traditional, other traditional powerhouses uh, in college baseball. So the fact that we don't play them is really going to help us out. And that really leads me to believe that, you know, seeing how this team has played so far this year, you know, I originally thought maybe 34 to 38 wins, but I'm now seeing closer to 40, considering how they played and considering the fact that our schedule could be a little bit tougher. We're getting a little bit lucky missing out on uh, UNC Virginia this year. Yeah, and I, I still think we, we could be, it could be a little bit too much uh, early optimism, small sample size. I want to see how things play out over the course of the year. Uh, but you, you couldn't have asked for a better start. You really couldn't have. And just with the offensive, I, I think with the offense, at the very least, we have a foundation. Uh, for the rest of the year, hopefully at least some guys will stick around to, to, to build out a strong core and really make it into a, a back to Clemson baseball that we, we've come to know over the last, what, 20 years? Yeah, you're right. I mean, so far so good. You couldn't have asked for more in Monty Lee's first season. My question, can he coach basketball? <laughs> Give him a shot. Can he coach special teams? Um, probably not. Uh, Dabo would have figured that one out by now. Um, I guess my one other question with, with Seth Beer, going back to him real quick. Do you think this is a situation, you see a lot of rookies come up in Major League Baseball and they get off to a hot start, but then eventually after about a month or so, pitchers start to figure them out. Do you think that happens here? Uh, you, don't, a, you don't have the same scouting in that's college a great, baseball. That's a good question. It's a really good question. I don't... I think that I don't think the scouting across the board is is as good. Even though I'm sure it's gotten better in college baseball, it's not like the major leagues. 
where they have a lot of money and resources invested. College baseball programs just don't have the same scouting resources. So I think he, I think he's probably going to have this, some some sustained success in college. Yeah. So there's like a couple back girls, back guys watching some tape, and that's about all the resources they have to be able to do right. that. And I mean, again, beer to come out and have, uh, you know, we had. You know, he has seven home runs already, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so it will be interesting to see if that keeps up. Uh, we're really excited what we've seen out of this baseball team so far. Again, pitching is going to be a key issue. Um, we'll see if that is able to continue to develop as the season goes along because we know our hitting is going to be there. Uh, again, the question is, can the pitching keep the pace? Um, all right, so... That's all we got for the three major sports. Um, some ups and downs, exciting things happening in football. Um, not so much in basketball. Baseball, we'll see how the season plays out, but so far off to a good start. Uh, before we leave you here, we want to do a couple quick takes. Um, some bad, sad news coming out from the NFL. Martavis Bryant has been suspended for a year um, for uh, failing, uh, the, I guess, the drug test. Um, and he's going to check into rehab. Cody? Tough, tough to hear from Martavis. You know, you you root for this guy, but I think this is his third strike. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just got to get it together. You, you've been given so much opportunity. You've been given a lot of money now, uh, or at least an opportunity to make a lot of money. You're you're becoming a premier uh, wide receiver in the NFL, and I can't imagine you know, smoking some pot. Yeah. I mean, you're you're not well, you're not twenty you're not twenty one. When you're at Clemson, you're eight, nineteen, twenty. And I and I will be. And you've heard me say over and over. I'll give nineteen, twenty, twenty two year olds and that's the a, of the doubt. What is he? He's twenty five now. We don't know that it was pot, but given his history, that's that's what we're thinking. And in entering rehab, good good for you. Wish you the best. Um, that's that's probably mostly PR in my mind. But still, you know, if that if if you are addicted to marijuana, if that's the drug, <laughs> well, you know how we know how addictive it can be. It's the gateway drug. So. Um, Anyway, no, I, I wish him well. He is a Clemson guy, and I love him. Um, but at some point, it's like, come on, man, get it together. You're not. I don't. I, I don't give you as much. Uh, I, I'm not as forgiving as I would be if you're 21, 20 years old. Yeah, you really hope he's got somebody. Um, you know, somebody's on his side, somebody in his ear. Um, you know, maybe this is a guy like Mike Tomlin, the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, I don't. Given Ben Roethlisberger's history, I don't see him as a role model, so I don't really don't expect a lot of him. Um, but hopefully somebody is guiding him. Hopefully Dabo gives him a call uh, to really help guide him in the right direction um, because he, yeah, he's a super talented guy. He's, I mean, you see his play on the field. He's definitely putting in the work um, because that shows, and he has the talent. So if he can get these other things in his life uh, straightened out, um, you know, and, and if it's not pod, then I apologize. But I'm just I, based I, I, off no, of the track record. Listen, I, I think that's I think that's what we're all assuming, and I think that's yeah. probably the correct assumption. But you know, just uh, you know, to set the record straight, and, and the facts are the facts, and the fact is that we we don't really know for sure yet. Um, speaking of facts, going back to baseball, I was reading the triples line. We actually had 35 home runs last year, so it's not as bad as I thought. But we're well on the pace to to break that so far this year. Oh, yeah. Um, and finally, what we learned on the TigerNet message boards uh, over the past couple weeks. Um, this one's a doozy. Uh, somebody posited that the basketball season began to take a dive once Jerron Blossom game became a dominant force. Really sound logic there. Um, that's all we've got today, guys, uh, for the Clemson podcast. Um, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to continue to follow spring football practice as we count down to the spring game on April 9th. Uh, that will be actually broadcast on ESPN3 this year. No shaky cam guy. Shout out to him, though. We appreciate that. Um, we'll 
uh, continue to kind of follow the fallout from Clemson uh, men's basketball season and keeping an eye on the Brad Brownell situation. And we'll continue to watch with excitement to see how this baseball season plays out and, and Monty Lee's uh, first year here. Again, a lot of excitement there. So far, so good to start the season. Um, we'll hope for the best moving forward. So again, guys, uh, thank you for listening to the Clemson podcast. Thank you for the Shaking the Southland for partnering with us. Um, if you don't already, go to shakingthesouthland.com. A lot of great articles there, a lot of knowledgeable guys. Um, and finally, go Tigers.